escapingthecave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Thank you, com- comrade. Lock, I got him. No. <laughs> Howdy, Tonsilla Files, and welcome to yet another episode of Escaping the Cave, ChristopherMedia.net, EscapingTheCave.com, all together now. One, two, three, fuck Twitter! Woo! Guys are catching on quick. Wow, I'm impressed. I'm your friendly and congenial host, Todd. Hello. I'm in a good mood today. <laughs> You'll see why. Early morning of January 21st, 2020, the day after uh, the big pro-Second Amendment rally down in Richmond, Virginia. A bunch of militia groups, Second Amendment supporters, and different types of folks, including the Black Panthers, by the way. I'm going to get to this in a little bit. All these people congregated together outside the Capitol in Virginia to protest proposed gun legislation aimed at curbing various abilities to buy certain firearms for different reasons, different kinds of guns, things like that. And it went off peacefully and without a hitch. Part of the backstory here was that the governor of Virginia, he declared a state of emergency last week. Uh, for this protest because there was intelligence saying that a white supremacist group was building their own automatic weapon, had over a thousand rounds of ammunition, were planning on going to this rally to cause mischief or worse. One of those folks was Canadian. Apparently, the Canadian uh, people, the police, Mounties, whatever, apparently they rode their horses to this guy's house. Sorry, Canada. He got away, found his way somehow across the border, build the wall, <laughs> into Michigan, I do believe, probably the Upper Peninsula somewhere. These other two idiots decided to drive up, pick him up, took him all the way back down to wherever it was. I want to say Delaware. Again, I didn't do a lot of research on these guys. They don't really matter. They're in jail now. Uh, but anyway, the intelligence people. Law enforcement authorities did their job, tracked them down, and arrested them before anything happened. But that, and maybe something else, maybe there were other lines of intelligence that the uh, the governor got saying there might be problems. So he decided to declare a state of emergency for the rally and uh, told all these folks that they could not bring their firearms in the Capitol. And so a lot of other people uh, showed up. There are a couple of sides to this story. I'm not going to get to the one today. And this is going to be <laughs> sort of slanted, sorry. Uh, there is another side of this, though, where a lot of the um, far-right gun nut people, I'm using that term in a limited basis. I'm not painting all of you Second Amendment folks as gun nuts. But some of you, you know what? Yar. 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 Y-A-R-R. That's Scottish for you are. Some of you is. Anyway, some of those folks were, you know, out there on social media, YouTube, other places, drumming up fear, uh, sort of going down this Alex Jones track, saying that the government was setting you up. I think a representative in Virginia was part of this. 
the competing narratives are complicated. It's not just one or the other. Anyway, they're getting some fuel from this. They're getting a little help in their agitation, saying the government's setting you up. There might be something that happens, but it could be like a government agent that's doing it. You know, a false flag. Alex Jones applauds you as he's paying how much to the Newtown families? You know, I, I talk a lot about the left needing to get a hold of themselves. There's some elements on the right, a lot of elements on the right. Let's just keep it within the parameters of the gun people for right now. A lot of you folks need to check your fever as well and how you're being played, how your fear, it is fear, is being exploited. The video I saw over the weekend was a guy who was clearly... I. I've talked about the podcaster thing and how I've been in podcasting groups for the last couple of months. And my, I'm just getting to a boil. So annoyed with these people. What I saw this guy doing on that YouTube channel was social media influencing to build his brand. Make sure you click down there. He's pointing down. You know, he knows what he's doing. He's done this a few times. Make sure you point right there. And he was right above the subscribe button, too. He, I mean, he had done this before. Well, he's probably monitoring himself. <laughs> Either way, he knew what he was doing. He was building his brand. He was using fear and counter-agitation to build his brand. Using elements of truth. We've gone over this and over this and over this and over this. Maybe you're new to the podcast. I have a lot of episodes back there you can go listen to. It was propaganda. It was agitation. It was exploitation. There's a lot of that out there. It's an industrial complex at this point. We've talked about that as well, and we will talk about it again in the future, I promise you. But I was going to do this podcast originally last night, and then I realized and remembered, you know, this rally's going on, Antifa shows up. Boy, this could get nasty. I've been talking about the spark, sort of the Fort Sumter shot, waiting to be fired on this culture war. And I was thinking to myself, self, that's what I call myself, a self. I said, self, it could be Monday. Maybe you should wait a day. And I got up today, and it was like a, what was that, Disneyland? (laughs) And where in the hell was Antifa? You didn't even show up. Do you only come out and play in Portland? Where were you? I have an answer to that. No violence today whatsoever. It was a bunch of gun advocates milling around on the lawn. A few other groups that will probably surprise you, like the Black Panthers being there, coexisting peacefully having a common uh, agenda that they were interested in, and coexisting. One arrest yesterday. One. I went over to Twitter. Twitter's my zoo. It's a great zoo. It's like anthropology. It's propagandistic anthropology. It's a study. It's an exhibit of the social media species. That's its only redeeming quality. Anyway, woke Twitter, 
pretty much apoplectic at the lack of violence this afternoon. They're all white male supremacists. What if black people did that? Remember what I told you? Yeah, then the images of the Black Panthers attending the rally started to filter through. And a friend uh, guided me to an interview with a black dude who was wearing a MAGA hat, explaining, explaining on camera, a black guy that most of the Second Amendment supporters are white, yeah, but very few, very, very few are white supremacists. Coming from a black guy. Is he a Manchurian black guy? Has he been hypnotized? Do you think this black guy would not know a white supremacist if he was hanging around with gaggles and gaggles and gaggles, thousands of them? Do you think he would not know that? Are you condescending to him? You wouldn't know. We know. Sitting here on our couch on our smartphones, we can see that those are white supremacists. We discount your report that they are not. It contradicts our narrative. The guy also said that the arrest of the white supremacists I mentioned earlier had nothing to do with the rally. This guy understood that. This guy can understand that. You can't, a woke flake. But he could. How is that? Is he drunk? Is he stupid? Is he delusional? Or are you sort of, you know, puking up a trope? A talking point, a stereotype. Hmm. It's been covered. Of course you are. Yeah, they're not all white. That was not a white supremacist Nuremberg rally down there in Virginia. People on the ground who would probably be happy to say it if it was reported it differently. But you can't have that, can you? Hell no. It felt like when I was reading the Twitter, it was almost like electroshock to the collective woke flake spinal cord. Just like, Black man says they're not white supremacists, but they they have to be. Ah. Reminds me of the scene in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That sent him into more convulsive fits. Reminded me a little bit of the rationalizations. Uh, I talked about this, uh, I think, in the episode before last, uh, that I heard following the supposed-to-be 2012 apocalypse. The world's going to end. And history's going to end. It's going to be a new evolution of the species. It's going to be peace on Earth. Oh, you wake up the next morning. Everything's the same as it was the night before. Well, you got to come up with something, don't you? You couldn't have just been wrong about it. Well, they started throwing it around. Oh, look at all these white men. I saw one woman on on, uh, Twitter. Look at the subspecies of Americans here. These these middle-aged white men. Subspecies. That's nice. Isn't, isn't that nice? Some people might take that to say subhuman. I think she meant it that way. I really do. Judging by the rest of the stuff that I read on her feed. Really? There's this thing. Nah, I won't get to that later. I was going to talk about making enemies out of natural allies. I'll get to that some other time. Not right now. Uh, and then after that, This was fun. Speaking of the 2012 thing, you know how you make the prediction? It doesn't come true. It doesn't come out how you really actually want it to. And then what are you going to do? How do you walk it back? That's another element of a Lewis propaganda that I talked about. You really can't. You have to double down because you cannot be seen walking it back. Reminded me of another comment I saw over the weekend. Sort of a woke flake premonition. 
He said, more bullets than brains. Talking about the people going to the rally down there in Virginia. More bullets than brains. The over-under odds that these redneck wannabe militia can congregate without violence is slim to none. That was his woke flake wisdom. I pretty much just said that I hoped he didn't put his paycheck on those odds. Hoping he was going to get rich. 22,000 people. That's the tale of the Richmond tape. 22,000 or 20,000 people. I don't know exactly. I don't think they were taking attendance counts. Accurate ones. But right around 20,000 people. With one arrest. One arrest. And apparently, this is even better for me. (laughs) One. A lone, renegade, and agitating Antifa twat. One. The black rally attendee that I mentioned above, uh, he also claimed that uh, he thought the reason the rally was nonviolent was because the liberals, and Antifa in particular, I assume, were absent. They stayed away. Therefore, no violence. Huh. That's odd, isn't it? I mean, what's the difference? We all saw the tape from uh, Portland from last summer, right? What was the difference between Portland and Richmond? Huh. What could it be? Could it be? Could it be? Could it be Antifa? Hmm. Where was Antifa? Well, according to the Guardian, their uh, revolutionary handlers in Richmond and Charlottesville publicly advised their <clears throat> comrades to avoid the rally altogether, citing serious safety concerns. What kind of safety concerns? Agitating armed people? Is that a safety concern? Just getting your ass beat. 20,000 people deep. Maybe they thought they'd only draw five and they couldn't go about their Antifa-ing business without being bludgeoned four to one. It's going to be a little thicker than what they experienced in Portland last summer. And they knew it. That the rally was going to be big enough. They were going to be outnumbered. And yeah, smart move, Antifa, in your agitating ways. There were genuine safety concerns. That wasn't, you know, one individual 70-year-old dude walking down the street that you could blindside and sucker punch. Impressive, huh? I mean, I thought, listening to your rhetoric, reading your pages and your posts, I thought you were the noble and righteous Red Star Insurgency. Huh? What, do you paper revolutionaries actually expect to swim without getting your Charmin dicks wet? Is that what it is? We want a revolution, but we don't want to bleed. There are no such things as bloodless revolutions, Antifa. This is something you should learn quickly. We have a word for that. That's called reform. You were on that path not too long ago. You've abandoned it. Now you've got Daenerys Ocasio-Targaryen. On stage, are you ready for the revolution? She doesn't even know what a revolution is, does she? More on that coming, too. And you know what's funny here? Your best course of action, I'm talking to the gun people now, Antifa, go away. Why are you? You're not here. (laughs) There's no Antifa twats listening to this program anymore. But what's funny here, for you gun folks, is that I realized by watching the uh, footage and the coverage today, Various networks, I flip back and forth, CNN, Fox, no MSNBC. Sorry if you're disappointed in me. I'll try better next time. Uh, But your best approach uh, might be the MLK Gandhi tactic. 
peaceful nonviolence uh, designed to show the barbarity of the opposition. It really is the core of nonviolent demonstrations. You don't provoke anyone. You take the unprovoked abuse. That way the rest of the people, everybody watching, sees their barbarity and what you're having to deal with. Antifa and the rest won't be able to stand what happened in Richmond. They will not be able to stand that for very long. I promise you that. And uh, they'll be provoked into something eventually. Just like those fire hoses and dogs down there in uh, Montgomery, Birmingham, Alabama back in the 1960s, law enforcement couldn't stand, could not stand to see black people exerting their rights, demanding their rights. They were going to be provoked. They were going to lash out and act at some point. I think that's the case here as well. I think these things should be held every week. If not every week, at least every other week, maybe as infrequently as once a month. Take it around the country. Put it on tour. Sort of like Trump does with his rallies, right? He just shows up in different parts of the country. Oh, Michigan would love that. Make sure it's warm outside. (laughs) You do that in May at least, huh? I was just amazed, though, that there were no Antifa people, like the ones who swarmed the rally in Portland. To reiterate, I cannot stand, I have talked about Andy and made my thoughts about this man known in this podcast before. But, to tie it into this, he did successfully and predictably uh, provoke Antifa into showing themselves to be the insurgent agitators that they are. These are like the people that go to agitate and break strikes. You've seen Grapes of Wrath, right? These are the people that walk in and try to start a fight in the camp to get the dance shut down. That's what Antifa is. And to be perfectly frank, communists and pseudo-communists always use that tactic. Lenin talked about agitation at length. It's always part of the plan, riling people up, creating conflict, both to benefit you and to sabotage them, whoever they happen to be. Communists are particularly known for this. Communists, all sorts of leftists. It's one of their primary tactics. Go read Lenin's stuff. You really should anyway, just to become familiar with it. But to understand how agitation is used to destabilize When you are an insurgent revolutionary force looking to move into an area, move into a country, take over a government, agitation is one of the primary weapons being used. I've talked about agitation, propaganda at length. It's one of the the main topics of this podcast. There's uh, agitation, propaganda. There's physical agitation as well that goes hand in hand with it. That is Antifa's role here. It reminds me of the brown shirts back in everybody's favorite uh, time in history. That's what their role is, agitation. I do not understand. I don't want to go down this. I've got a, I've got a lot more I need to do here. Uh, I do not understand how in this country you can be a group, an agitating group in the streets, antagonizing a group of voters who aren't bothering anyone, I saw this up in Minneapolis after one of Trump's rallies. People are just walking out of this arena like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Why are you yelling and screaming at me? I just, what? And in the meantime, in the background, you've got three or four 
literally have three or four Soviet Union USSR hammer and sickle flags flying in the air behind you. Yeah, woo, communism rocks. Do you know what continent you're on? What country in which you're at? Well, of course you do. That's the whole point. Anyway, it's funny. Again, apparently only one, one Antifa twat was brave enough to buck their comrades, ignore the orders from the Central Committee, and to show up yesterday. And he was appropriately and peacefully dispatched. They handled him. I mean, 20,000 to one, how hard can it be? So yeah, that's my uh, suggestion for this. Peaceful nonviolence with firearms in full display. Open carry. It's like, uh, here it is, Antifa. Why don't you come take it? It's like taunting a chihuahua puppy. Pretty soon that little bastard's going to nip at you. I figured out today that I am, uh, I think I'm much less pro-gun in my support of the Second Amendment than I am anti-communist. There's no denying this anymore. My support of the Second Amendment is mostly practical. How are you going to take all these guns away from all these people? Are you going to go? Are you going to send your little boy over there to take Jethro's gun away? No. Oh, you expect somebody else's dad or somebody else's child to do that for you. So you can have your idealism again go swimming without getting your dick wet. That is one of the primary reasons I'm like, you know what? Uh Uh-uh. This isn't going to work out how you think it's going to work out. It's not ever going to get to that point anyway. A constitutional amendment rescinding the Second Amendment? Huh. Yeah, good luck with that. Now, my support of the uh, 2A, like I said, is mostly practical, not only due to what I just mentioned, but also the Daenerys Ocasio-Targaryen wing of the uh, Democratic Party going into heat. I like the Second Amendment in place right now. That's where the right and I have become allies, under the umbrella of anti-communism, not beneath, uh, you know, Donald fucking Trump's toupee. I've been reading a lot of H.L. Mencken lately, Uh, but Americans, he says, said 100 years ago, even 100 years ago, that Americans always vote against something. Very, very, very rarely do they vote for something. Might have been in uh, Notes on Democracy. But I've thought about this a lot. I came to this conclusion independently of Mencken (laughs) not too long ago. I have some stuff written over there. I was actually going to get into this at some point because I noticed this uh, with George Bush just before the Iraq War. I was really vociferously against George Bush. Then it was Sarah Palin. I cannot stand that woman. I cannot stand the sound of her voice like a dentist drill into my eardrum. Cannot hear that voice. So from her, it went to the Tea Party, right? But I knew what was happening then. Then I could predict what was going to happen with Donald Trump. I was against Donald Trump as well prior to the election, but I knew if he got elected, I'd been around enough. I understood how this worked now, and I knew that the Green Tea Party was going to come about in response to it. I hoped I was wrong. I hoped maybe, you know, maybe I was a little misguided. Maybe that wouldn't happen. Maybe they'd have some sense. Maybe they'd have more sense than the Republicans did right around 2010. Yeah, of course not. 
So that's my thing now. Being a white man, a white male devil. <gasps> Straight white male devil. Oh my God. That's double demerits. Making enemies out of natural allies, my friend. That didn't work out well for King Philip. Or the Indians, for that matter. It's not generally a good idea to make enemies out of your allies. But congratulations, you have. As you keep lurching toward the left and this social democracy in name only, comrade, that is now my bugaboo. That's what I'm railing against. And I will ally with anybody within reason who sees that as the invasive species that it is. So it's good to be friends again, conservatives. How you been? We still have our differences. If kumbaya comes and unity comes, and oh, the, the fever, the national fever, just oh, sort of just drops down. Ah, we're feeling better now. Kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya. If that happens, well, we'll have to discuss our differences again. But for right now, let's be friends. <laughs> That's the essence of politics, right? Maybe I am a politician at heart. I don't know. But really, to be perfectly frank with you, the, the idea that this is just going to uh, just sort of calm itself down and everything's going to be okay, the idea that that's ever going to happen anytime soon is ridiculous, isn't it? Maybe we have a long-term relationship budding here, conservatives. I don't know. <laughs> we shall see. Anyway, yeah, Mencken says that Americans always vote against something, and yeah, that's my thing. I think that's a lot of people's thing. I think a lot of people, I've asked this question to a number of people, okay? Since the election, since Donald Trump was elected, how many people do you know personally, I'm not talking anecdotally like, you know, I had the, oh, I banged this chick up in Vancouver in summer vacation. Yeah, you don't know her. She doesn't live around here, but I did. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people you actually know and can point to and name. How many, since Trump was elected, have abandoned the Republican Party in favor of, of leftist radicalism, because they are so much better than Donald Trump. Or even the Democratic Party. How many people have bailed from Trump to join the Democratic Party? How many people that you know? We have these television commercials playing in, here in Michigan. Or had. Actually, they've vanished. <laughs> now that I think about it, maybe they weren't doing really well. We had these commercials playing all the time. I voted for Donald Trump, and now I'm ashamed. I That woman, she feels like a conjured-up snipe, like a CGI snipe, made into commercial form and beamed into my home. I have met none. I know, personally, of zero. However, when I asked the question the other way, how many Democrats and people that voted for Hillary or supported Bernie, how many have abandoned the Democrats and are now at least considering voting for Trump or abstaining? Which, if you voted for Hillary and you're repulsed 
by Daenerys Targaryen Cortez over there. And you're going to stay home this time because you do not have a viable option. That's just as bad. That's just as bad as someone going from Clinton to Trump. Well, maybe not just as bad, but it's pretty bad. Apathy. And again, I know a lot of people who have done that, who who voted for Clinton in 2016 and are now considering voting for Donald Trump. I'm one of them. So, there's one. Hi. Y'all know one. <laughs> I'm considering that. And it's not because I love him. It's not because I, you know, get a hard-on over his toupee or his skin tone. It's because of the identity politics shit. It's because of the lurch to the far fucking left. I know what collectivism is. As a friend of mine mentioned today, they didn't put up the Berlin Wall to keep people out. You know, Reagan didn't say, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall so we can come in and share in your luxurious freedom and bountiful prosperity. That is not why the Berlin Wall was put up. Far leftism, communism, extreme socialism is conformity. It's enforced conformity. The antithesis of individualism, which is the foundational American myth. And you see, oh Antifa supporter, Daenerys Targaryen Cortez, I don't hate this country. I'm not ashamed of it. I have outgrown my Howard Zinn love affair. I've been other places. I've seen the shit. This is not the shit. If you think this is the shit, I suggest maybe, maybe, Maybe a trip to, I don't know, Saudi Arabia is a good idea, ladies. I've never been to Saudi Arabia personally, but I would suggest if you think that the patriarchy and male oppression is so bad here. Yeah. Take a trip to Saudi Arabia. Hop in and see if you can rent a car. Yeah, things aren't perfect. I understand that. Things can be improved. I understand that. See, that's reform which we were well on the path toward until, until Daenerys Targaryen Cortez and Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren is like, oh my God, let's, let's hop on the horses and have a revolution. Hashtag me too. I don't know why I'm provoking you, you two hags. I apologize for that. Anyway, the nonviolence thing for you Second Amendment folks, I think is a winning strategy. And I also think that not all, in fact, I dare say, as I sit here criticizing Democrats, I'm only, I'm only criticizing a small sliver of Democrats here. I dare say that most, the vast majority of sensible Democrats actually pretty much despise Antifa too. Maybe not as much as I do, but they don't like them. They tolerate them. Because Trump's in office, the Antichrist, much like the uh, Republicans tolerated the Tea Partiers when the Antichrist Obama was in office. 
This is how this extremism thing works. You see, you see how this is going? I think all you have to do is just show up, expose who the real agitators prone to uh, barbaric violence, who they really are. And that is the meat on the bone of Martin Luther King and Gandhi's nonviolence. Exposing barbarity to the rest of the country, to the rest of the world. Their techniques have not been patented by leftists. And when you're dealing with leftist agitators, it's a really powerful tool, especially when everybody's got a little (laughs) television studio in their pocket. They're trying to do the same thing to you. They're trying to get to, they're trying to provoke you, poke and prod you into something. They've got their little cameras out so they can edit the footage and make it look like, oh, you're, you just attacked them. Oh, we're just sitting here. Oh, you know, we were, we were meditating. That's what we were doing. And here comes these Trump supporters and they just beat us up. That's how this game works. I've actually seen this in action. I've seen leftists personally with my own eyeballs try to engage in that kind of video fuckery. I saw this back in 2011 with Occupy. They're trying to do it to you, too. I understand that. That means you need military-grade discipline to endure the taunts and everything else, every kind of verbal provocation that you can get. And you've got to be willing to take that until the physical assaults come. And they will. They will come. I have seen these people in action. (laughs) This isn't new. I've personally seen these people in action. I was at the inauguration protest on Inauguration Day back in 2017. That was a perfectly peaceful march in Chicago, a perfectly peaceful demonstration. Children were there and not scared. Except for one group of people. I have a picture. I have a picture. I'm sitting here thinking, who the hell is this jagoff in a black ski mask? What the fuck is that flag? Well, now I know. And they were the ones who were smashing out store windows, coffee shop windows, whatever it was. That was the only violence, the only agitation that took place that day in Chicago. On the day that Democrats, normal Democrats, got together to, uh, to protest the election of Donald Trump. Say what you want about it. They had the impeach him now signs up two hours after he took office. I understand that. This is another story. But they were peaceful about it. These are normal Democrats. All right. There is an extremist wing whose face is Daenerys Targaryen Cortez, who wants to use Antifa as sort of the activist wing of the Democratic Socialist Party. That is... The target of my ire. So anyway, these techniques have not been patented by leftists. And continuing down that line, but drawing a distinction here, uh, was something else I saw in the Richmond uh, Afterglow uh, yesterday afternoon. And it was an MLK meme. Yesterday was Martin Luther King Day. I think it's birthday or something. I, I don't know exactly. But we celebrated Martin Luther King yesterday. Hell of a day to hold a rally, by the way. Did you think that through? Anyway, uh, it was presumably intended to honor the spirit of King's movement and and, uh, activism in general, right? Uh, But it was co-opted by a Second Amendment supporter. It said something to the effect of, uh, we have a duty to disobey unjust laws. 
in the context of supporting the constitutional right to bear arms, that, quote, is problematic. And I'm about to tell you why. Listening to Escaping the Cave. I'm at ChristopherMedia.net, EscapingTheCave.com. Fuck Twitter. Again, that's Paul Vernon. Used his stuff last time. I think I'm going to use a lot of his stuff moving forward. He's got music up on uh, SoundCloud. I know that. He may have some some tunes available on Bandcamp. I don't know. I think he does this just <laughs> more as a hobby, maybe. Anything, but I, I really enjoy his stuff. Anyway, I was talking about this uh, meme that I saw today. Had Martin Luther King's face on it, presumably used to uh, honor him on Martin Luther King Day and to sort of support his, the spirit of his movement and activism in general. And it read uh, that we have a duty to disobey unjust laws. And I said, that's problematic. Well, that quote in and of itself was originally taken from uh, Henry David Thoreau. Uh, Martin Luther King was inspired by Gandhi. And Gandhi was inspired by Thoreau's On the Duty of Civil Disobedience. That laid the foundation, that one pamphlet by Thoreau, laid the foundation for the uh, 20th century nonviolence movements. And I wanted to sort of provide this in better context than that. The line from Civil Disobedience goes like this. Unjust laws exist. Shall we be content to obey them, or shall we endeavor to amend them and obey them until we have succeeded, or shall we transgress them at once? Men generally, under such a government as this, think that they ought to wait until they have persuaded the majority to alter them. They think that if they should resist, the remedy would be worse than the evil. But it is the fault of the government itself that the remedy is worse than the evil. It makes it worse. Why does it not encourage its citizens to be on the alert, to point out its faults and do better than it would have them? Why does it always crucify Christ and excommunicate Copernicus and Luther and pronounce Washington and Franklin rebels? That's the full context of the quote from Civil Disobedience. He talks about friction in the machine in terms of fighting unjust laws. Civil Disobedience. Now, when you're talking about something that's unjust, to determine what is unjust Justice has to be defined, right? Now, as I've talked about, justice in and of itself is not something existing externally, outside of the realm of a vivid human imagination. Social justice is, quite literally, proper use of the word here, a pseudo-religion. And its deity's granola features must be subjectively and often dubiously drawn by biased human hands. Social justice warriors, missionaries, zealots. And then there's this. Now, presumably, MLK 
during his time was acting on principle. We could all agree on that, right? Well, here's something else from civil disobedience. Action from principle, the perception and the performance of right, changes things and relations. It is essentially revolutionary and does not consist wholly with anything which was. It not only divides states and churches, it divides families. I. it divides the individual, separating the diabolical in him from the divine. Now, talking about principle here, action from principle. I'm bringing this home, gun folks, lacking clarity, precision, and vigilance. Okay, Defining the principle on which action will be taken is tricky, sometimes problematic. It's easy to lose sight of that principle. The rhetorical means tend to take on a life of their own and smother the tangible ends. This is a part of the propaganda book that I have not gotten to yet where the means take on a life of their own and smother the intended ends. Action from principle. You have got to have the principle in place, and you have got to hold on to the principle. The principle is the end, and it's so easy, so easy to lose sight of that. Now, when it comes to the Second Amendment, gun folks, in your case, which principle is in play here? Do you know? Have you thought about that? I know that's a hard question, and I I know it seems self-evident, but is it? I'm asking you directly. I'm asking you to think about that. On which principle are you basing your action? In Richmond or anywhere else? From my old days of arguing in circles with gun folks, and I did, a lot. It got to the point where it was so circular and so repetitive and so predictable. I stopped having conversations about the Second Amendment with gun people just as a rule. Because they always went the same way. With the one exception, the one thing that shut me up when I was an anti-gun person was, well, what are you going to do about it? Come and get them. Are you going to do it? And I had to sit here and I had to think to myself, well, Probably not. And yeah, it is literally written in American stone, isn't it? So even me being, you know, in my younger days, a, an anti-gun crusader. I wasn't a crusader. It's just something I adopted. You know, initially I was pro-Second Amendment because I, I was really moved by Henry David Thoreau early on. In my, in my hardcore libertarian days, I hated being told what to do. Every law was an erosion of freedom. That was my mindset. Part of that still exists. On the duty of civil disobedience had a huge effect on me toward the end of my radio career and early on in the hitchhiking days. Anyhow, I digress. Most of the time, I was arguing with a constitutional fundamentalist. It's in the Second Amendment. It's right there. Shall not be infringed. And that kind of thing. Right? Now, if that's the principle at play here in 2020, if that's where you're coming from, constitutional fundamentalism, then intellectual honesty may possibly demand that you, quote-unquote, honorably relinquish your alcohol. 
You have to do that on principle, right? If it's constitutional fundamentalism you're worried about, well, you have to give up your alcohol. (laughs) Considering prohibition was constitutionally ratified about 100 years ago. Well, that's different. That's not the same thing. Now, if you agree, understand, understand, it was a stupid amendment. I get that. But if you agree that prohibition, quote-unquote, should have been overturned as it was, here's the problem. You've undercut your own argument of constitutional infallibility. That it was sent and written in God's stone, and it cannot be changed. If prohibition can be changed, intellectual honesty demands, and it would then be argued that this generation of Americans living right now, quote-unquote, should have its say in regards to the Second Amendment. That was what Thomas Jefferson believed, that the Constitution was a living document, that it was up to each generation to decide on its own laws. The tyranny of our barbarous ancestors, I think was the uh, phrase he used. I know he used the, uh, the coat metaphor. That trying to live by an old document, an old set of rules, is something like trying to squeeze into a coat you wore as a kid. That was what he was talking about. He was all about changing things up like every 20 years. This is Jefferson, man. This isn't Robespierre. So there's a, there's a, there's a disconnect here. And I'm not criticizing you. I just want you to think about this. Because there is a disconnect between constitutional fundamentalism and you know admiring the founding fathers when the structure that's in place right now was created by the founding fathers to be a living document as shown by prohibition and the the repeal of prohibition sometime later constitutional fundamentalism it's written right there unless you're willing To give up your beer doesn't work. And if you think it should work, you can't really hold the founding fathers and Americanism in general. Enlightenment principles, you cannot hold them in your hand as a trophy. This is Thomas Paine and Edmund Burke, the rights of man. This was the back and forth they had. Whether something written hundreds of years ago was the rule of law for all time, as I think Edmund Burke, was that his first name? Whatever. Burke believed that. That the laws put forth by the monarchy in England a few hundred years before should stand for all time. Whereas Thomas Paine, a fierce advocate of the American and French Revolution, the guy was almost guillotined in Paris, argued in a legendary pamphlet called The Rights of Man. If you've never read it, you should read that. That every generation had a right to self-determination. They had a right to set their own rules freed from the tyranny of their ancestors. So, arguing constitutional, original constitutional fundamentalism and infallibility creates, I'm sorry to say, hypocrisy. This is a losing Proposition. Now, new friends, new allies, I'm mentioning this as an exercise of preparedness. I'm mentioning this as a devil's advocate, hoping, hoping, please, to inoculate you 
from the inevitable. You have to choose the principles of your action carefully. Subjective, idealistic justice. As put forth by this meme, we have a duty to violate unjust. Unjust is the key word here. Unjust laws. It's an abstract boomerang. And I'm afraid, ultimately, as I said, a losing battle. The invasive ideological species going into totalitarian comradely heat, on the other hand, has something altogether different. Let's chat about that, shall we? Before I do, though, either way, civil disobedience is worth a quick read. All right? You can get that for free. It's on Gutenberg. It's in public domain. You don't have to pay for that if you don't want to. And it's, it's short. It's like 50 pages. It's fantastic. It's a legendary American pamphlet. If you like freedom, you'll love it. If you claim to like freedom, you should have read it by now. <laughs> right? But you got to be careful, old Henry, though, man. Uh, Thoreau's ghost can be a phantom that uh, it'll haunt you both ways. But if you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't gonna make it with anyone anyhow. <laughs> ain't that the truth? If you go calling people comrade, you ain't gonna make it with anyone either. Dressing up like Che Guevara. Have you seen that video from the Democratic Socialist Convention yet? Please, for the love of Christ, go find it. It's not a fake. I swear to God, it's not a fake. Thank you, comrade. It's in the open of my, my show here. I put it in there for a reason. If you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao or Mr. Lennon, I postulate, calling each other comrade at every opportunity, carrying communist flags at your Antifa marches, you're not going to make it with anybody either other than your extremist fringe. Or you might pick up some people who are so disgusted with Donald J. Trump that they're willing to give communism a try again. What the hell's wrong with you? <sighs> I digress. All right, this is from uh, Christopher Hitchens. He has a great book called uh, Why Orwell Matters. Here's a line from that book. In May 1946, Orwell wrote that the main danger from any communist-led split in the labor movement was that it could hardly result in a communist-controlled government but it might bring back the conservatives. Does sound familiar to you, the boomerang? See, I've, I've rephrased that. I've been using the term boomerang um, since pretty close to the beginning. I called it a backlash, and then I found the uh, boomerang effect somewhere else. I'm going to start calling it the backdraft. In this country, in this country, it can't but be backdrafted. A communist movement, a pseudo-communist movement, people going to their conventions, calling each other comrade, like wearing a costume, like something from a third-grade Halloween party dressed up like either Che Guevara or Fidel Castro. Alexandria Ocasio-Targaryen. I'm going to choose one of these eventually. Have you watched her speak? Have you watched her mannerisms when she's given a speech? I want you to watch 
how she sort of attacks the podium, how she flails about. And then I'd like you to go check out some old video of Fidel Castro in his early days. The look on her face is almost Castroian. Anyway, I keep having to say I digress. I do digress. Hardly result in a communist-controlled uh, government, but it might bring back the conservatives. An invasive species. Triggering an autoimmune response. I've said this before, and I'm sorry if it stinks. You can plug your nose if you have to. But to a people whose humanist national myth idealizes them as individualists, communal conformity, and imposed, quote-unquote, justice, subjective justice, will always be the invasive ideological species. You will not get around that. In order to take control of that country and of that people, there will be bloodshed. And you were on your way to getting most of what you wanted. This is what kills me. If you look at the last 20 years, I have tape over here. I have uh, old air check tapes from my radio days. Right? I have tapes sitting right there of me on a federally controlled radio broadcast outlet saying things 20 years ago that would be, hmm, let's just say frowned upon now. I could not get away with that. In fact, I didn't even want to put it on SoundCloud. Things have changed dramatically in the last 20 years. Some say, including me, not for the better. But people were willing to go along with it. If you're a gay person, things have got to be infinitely better now than they were 20 years ago. You had a black president who was not only elected, he was re-elected. Say what you want about what the Republicans did. While he was in office, he was elected. Go back to the 1960s and say that. Go back to the 1980s. Eddie Murphy did a bit about it. You mean he won? You were on the way. You were on the way. A slow, gradual acclimation to more socially liberal attitudes. But that wasn't good enough, was it? We had a spasm in electing Donald Trump. And so you had to react in kind. Rather than being the sane ones in the room and offering a clear, legitimate alternative to that, not only did you start flying the impeach him now signs at the inauguration. I have photos of this. In fact, you know what? I'll put one up on the blog, on the website, escapingthecave.com. You can go check it out. I'll put it right underneath the file so you can see it. It wasn't good enough. You had to meet batshit with batshit, didn't you? You had to turn this not into an isolated extremist that we have to endure for four years. You had to turn this into, I don't know, Mussolini versus Stalin. Giving no one a sensible choice. No one. Did you see the New York Times this week? Did you see the New York Times this week? I'll get to that here in a minute. Anyway, this invasive species, it has a name, and it's not Democrat. I'm going to repeat that. Democrats themselves 
are not the invasive species. They're native. Okay. The Green Tea Party is the invasive species. We're talking purity tests. These virtual lynchings, both cancel culture and via the forthcoming, (laughs) soon-to-come primary process. The threads have already begun. Do you really think that the woke flakes aren't going to start primarying moderates the way the Tea Party did, what, 10 years ago? Oh, that's coming. And ultimately, prepare yourselves for this, my conservative friends. There's going to be a batshit woke demagogue. It could be Daenerys Ocasio-Targaryen. It very well could be. She's not old enough yet. But she's already had a huge effect on that party. The Green Tea Party fracture within this supposed opposition Democratic Party has already occurred. Gangrene has already set in. That's why the New York Times just could not see its way to endorsing just one candidate, nor risk one of them being a straight white male. Oh my God, a white male. Did you see the tally? The vote of the editor, editorial board or whatever it was? Cory Booker, Cory friggin' Booker, finished higher than either Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. And he's dropped out of the race. It's woke-diculous. They had to appease both sides of this intra-party Vag chasm. They had to do it with Klobuchar and with Warren. They had to appeal to both because of the, the party split. The process is well underway. And the morning after, the morning after the election this year, it's shaping up to look a lot like 2016, isn't it? Denial and all. So when you ask what the invasive species is, it's collectivism. Who are they? Anyone suckling from Daenerys Ocasio-Targaryen's utopian teat inside of her democratic socialist lair. That was fun. I kind of like the uh, democratic socialist lair. What was the final line there? Daenerys's utopian teat. Alliteration can be fun. I want to mention that um, if you want a good listen, not like he needs any more listeners, but uh, Bill Maher was on Joe Rogan last week, and I'm still waiting for the royalty checks. I guess we're in agreement on some things. Unreal. Also watched uh, The Great Hack on Netflix, finally. I've got some stuff coming up on that, sort of a review. I've got a partial review of Hate, Inc. by Matt Taibbi, which is basically a deep dive into my Media 101 podcast. I've got that coming up. Thing on humanism, the cult of should. That's coming, too. I've got more stuff. Finally said it. EscapingCave.com, ChristopherMedia.net, fuck Twitter. That's where you can get me. Got a couple of blogs up there as well. I do appreciate your clicking in. Until next time, so long.